The process is black and white, where two friends examine the trials and tribulations of starting their individual businesses with their cultural differences and similarities, along with whatever else accompanies them on their journey. Each week, they will discuss a few chapters from books that will transform you from being a wantrepreneur to an entrepreneur. Here's Vernon and Devin. Good morning, Vernon. Good morning, Devin. Hey, I have a interesting question. So this Friday will be the first game for Mr. James Harden mm. as a member of the 76ers. Mm. How many more threes do you believe Tobias Harris will shoot as a result of being on the same floor with Joel Embiid and James Harden? Or Two. I guess you could, you could say... How, yeah, I don't know if you think more. I guess I should start there. Do you think it's yeah. more and how many more? The answer should be more. <laughs> Let's hope. Okay. But I think it's going to be about two and a half, give or take, right? Like, um, you know, he, he he's going to be able to make more threes. He's going to be wide open for a lot more threes. Threes are more valuable. Two and a half, I think, is a reasonable number. There's going to be games where he doesn't get any opportunities for him for whatever reason, right? And mm-hmm. there's going to be games where he's going to take five or six. Uh, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me to see him have one of those games where he's streaky enough. He's a good enough three point shooter. Wouldn't shock me to see him put down eight threes one night, you know, yes. and, and, and make them. So, you know, that's probably going eight for 11 kind of thing. Yes. You know, and he's never been in a situation with the Sixers where eight for 11 was even a reasonable opportunity for him. But he could get hot one night with James Harden and Joel Embiid. And him being a genuine third scoring threat, he's gonna he's easily positioned to be the most improved player on the Sixers. Yes. So right now he's shooting three point four three attempts per game, yeah, which is not at, enough put, at all. I'd put him at five and a half for sure. His best year was five point eight attempts. I'd put him in above his that best then. year. Yeah. And he shot uh forty percent from three. This was uh the Detroit LA year, where the yeah. when the trade and all that happened, Detroit LA year, and uh, yeah, he shot five point eight threes, made forty percent of forty one percent of them. Yeah. No, he I, he can he can shoot, he can he can shoot all day. Yeah, I would definitely see it makes it makes perfect sense to me that he's putting up, you know, five point eight a night for sure all day. Yep. I I think this trade should have Tobias somewhere around six to seven threes yeah. per game. Probably more seven per game is what I would like to see from Tobias Harris. If he's not getting, if he's not taking, you know, a five point eight, I'll leave it at that number, which is his his career high. If he's not in that range, that's a coaching problem. Yes, and yeah. it doesn't seem obvious to me that he would have a coaching problem because he has a coach that suits him particularly well. Yes, so. and in fact, his best year was a part of that. That team, that yeah, yeah, no. Know, Doc is a great coach for coach. Toby because because Doc doesn't want Toby to stop and think, and mm-hmm. Toby's at his worst when he stops and thinks. In fact, with Doc in L.A., those were two of his highest three point attempts in his career. 
There's two. There's probably his two best years in his career. I mean, yeah. the the year that he had with the Sixers um, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, last year. Last year yeah, was a great year. He was whew, he was a delight. So possibly that year he was better. Um, but uh, yeah, this year he's been objectively bad. I would say, um, you know, but uh, he went through injury and you know COVID and stuff. So, but now yeah. with this set up, I think he's he's primed for you know popping off. Yeah, I mean he's a twenty a night guy. He's nineteen this year, nineteen five, nineteen six. The last three years, I mean he kind of is what he is. Shoots great from the field goal, uh, from from uh, two. You know he's a high forty eight percent for his career. He's never shot any worse than you know forty seven percent for the Sixers. No, he's a high efficiency yeah. player. Yeah. yeah, I mean gets a lot of free throws. It it's to me it's baffling just like. You know, I mean, shoots 80, shoots 80, high 47s, and high 30s from three. And you would think the guy was like, I don't know, uh, I don't know, uh, Sam Bowie, I guess. You would think that he, like, you chose him over Jordan or something. No, he's a very, dude, he's a very nice player, but I get it. I get why people get on him, and it's because Ben Simmons sucks. That's why. That, that's why, because he he was forced to be in a role that he shouldn't be in. The love for Toby. A, there was definitely a role miscast, but also it was like there are nights where Toby just disappears, and that that was probably because of the Ben Simmons offense, right? Yeah, yeah. The role miscast is why. Like, watch the love fest for Tobias Harris starting this Friday. It is going to be like everyone's going to be like. Oh my God! What's changed? Tobias Harris doesn't suck as much. It's going to be because they got one of the great all-time assist men that, exactly. that's in basketball over the last twenty-five years. Exactly. Like, wait till you see Tobias Harris just letting it rain from from three, seven times a game, and just like not dribbling ever, just catching and shooting mm. under control. <laughs> Please don't dribble, Toby. <laughs> just like calm and under control and just like, just wait for it, man. It's going to be quite nice. I I think so. Your read is exactly mine. Like, uh, I mean, honestly, 25 years, who's better at dishing assists? I would say Chris Paul. Hmm. Chris Paul. I mean, I guess it just depends on. Harden's a better offensive threat, but 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 as a as an assist man, I think Chris Paul's better. Yeah, I mean it's tough because with assists is like, you know, are we talking the stat? Are we talking the need for other teams to double team? Are we talking the ability to get downhill and draw a defense in? Because uh, there's so many different ways to pass the ball. Whereas Ben Simmons was a downhill player that collapsed the defense and then he would kick out. And that's how he ate off of all his assists. Yeah. You know what I mean? James Harden is more of a on ball, pick and pop, pick and roll guy, mostly pick and roll, where his uh, his like ability to be a basketball savant from a from the offensive standpoint allows him to pick a team's defense apart just by isolating the action of two men 
cutting off the side of the court and basically say, screen and I'll find a way. And he does every time. Yeah, you know, I think that it's Chris, tough. The reason that I would pick Chris Paul, I guess, in this spot is that he has both dribble penetrate um, and uh, not that not that Harden doesn't, right? But he has both that and he's a great pick and roll guard. And um, great vision and all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, but it's it's, it's marginal at best. They're we're we're talking about two all time great assist men yeah. and the greatest and the best assist men of their generation. I mean, I guess in twenty five years you could add in Steve Nash, you could add in yeah. um yeah, you could Steve add in a Nash couple others. There. I mean John Jason Stockton, Kidd might Jason be in Kidd. there. Nah, twenty five years yeah. ago Stockton's probably getting close to out of the league. Oh well yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty five years gone. ago, you're talking about like ninety eight, ninety nine. Uh, he was still around, but he wasn't the same guy. But yeah, yeah, he you was know. still around. I guess Stockton left like maybe like two thousand. Because remember, ninety eight was when he they lost to the Bulls. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, he was but, probably, but probably yeah, going I mean, in so the back end. A couple other people, but like you know, Harden, especially when you add in his his scoring prowess. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I think that that's one of them tough conversations. What I do know is that. Harden's been known to make big men better to the tune of them being able to get a check just for playing with Harden. And, and shooters. He makes he makes big men and shooters better, which means that Joe is going to get better and Toby's, Toby's going to get, get better. better. <laughs> exactly. So and I and I don't understand the idea of this whole notion of he doesn't play well with superstars. He doesn't play well when you ask James Harden to stand in the corner while another superstar you know, makes a play. But that's not what we're doing here. He's going to be asked to be inside of every action when the Sixers come down. And it's going to be him and Joe. It's going to be the Harden-Joel show. And they fit wonderfully together. So, I'm, Well, the only uh, thing I'm a little worried about is, uh, you know, Joe's a, a pick-and-pop guy, right? Not a pick-and-roll mm-hmm. guy. Um, and I'm interested to see if Joe can add the role. Well, see, I think he, I think he can. And I mean, I think I clearly he can the whole, the whole idea of picking roles are be bigger and have balance, be bigger, more athletic and faster. Which (laughs) he's all of those things. things. (laughs) So that's why when people do, do the conversation of, will he be able to roll to me? It's just like laughable. Like, he, oh, I, who's dunking better than Joe right now? Like there was uh, a time where you dude, could argue that he had he, he had so, one last he had one last week that like was eye popping. Yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't remember what game it was. But it probably yeah. was the Jared, maybe the Jared Allen one that was pretty nasty. I mean, but you name it, every game he's dunking on somebody. Yeah. So like the idea, like remember the first introduction of Joel that we received was him throwing a ball between his legs and doing a windmill. Yeah. You know what I mean? Remember that was like when he first started working out before a game. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then he re-injured his foot. But like, there's nothing, there's no part of me that goes, huh, Joel's going to have a hard time catching alley-oops from James Harden with no defenders anywhere around. Like, no, that's not going to be difficult. And people really do, people really are concerned about that. 
I'm not. I want to just clarify my tone. I'm not concerned. It's just something we've never seen, and the reason we've never seen it is because we didn't have it. Had in James our Harden. Uh, well, yeah, we also didn't did. have it. We had dribble handoff. We had yeah. we had lots well, of other stuff, but mm-hmm. we didn't have a true pick and roll. We've had lots yeah. of pick and pop, and we've had mm-hmm. lots of dribble handoff. We've had go screen kick out. We've had a bunch of mm-hmm. things that are adjacent, but never had a true pick and roll. Well, so to and- see it will both be a joy believe me i will i'll be jumping out of my seat but we've never had it so it'll be it'll be you know because he's never done it with maxi no and maxi's harder to do most of the time where you see that really like even if you look at chris paul chris paul doesn't do it as much you know what i mean like chris paul did it when he was in the clippers well the best of it right now the best pick and roll right now i gotta say it's gotta be luca right in a whole yeah, league. Luca. Luca does it a lot, but a lot. Uh, it actually is easier for bigger guards to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, why Luca and James Harden are probably two of the best at it. Um, it is more a little more difficult for smaller guys. Although, you know, Live City, he got it done a good bit with with Blake and those guys, and they yep, ran yep. it a good bit. But um, yeah, man, Joel has never had a point guard that has that in their forte and this is going to be he's either not had a point guard or not that type of point guard at any point in his career and this is the first time he's going to have it so i'm so thrilled and i can't wait Uh, i can't wait i I imagine he'll get it within the first like three four possessions down the court and that'll dispel all of that nonsense right immediately yeah, did you see him try to do the James Harden step back? Uh... Yeah. It, well, how about the how about him doing a Smitty on a baseline, uh, Serge Ibaka, and almost like destroying Giannis's life? He, Giannis is so lucky he bobbled that ball. <laughs> like this is seven footer doing a Smitty, man. Like, come on now, why why are you even out there as a seven footer? That's unfair. It's unfair, dude. I gotta say that there's, I want this to work because I'm a Sixers fan. Blah blah blah. But I want this to work because you're an I NBA like fan. To, I'm an NBA fan, and I wanted to spell the narrative around James Harden. Like, it doesn't. The, none of the narrative about James Harden matches I, 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 what I've seen about James Harden. All mm-hmm. I've ever seen about James Harden is a player who works hard and gets better every year. Absolutely. Like that's all I've ever seen. He's mm-hmm. gotten better every single year since he's been in the league. What do people think that he is not going to just excel in this situation? Yep. And no part of his game ages poorly. Like, he's not, like, I love Russ. I'm a big Russ guy, and I know everybody's down on Russ right now. But, like, dude, Russ is exciting. The kid was electric. He could jump out of the stadium. It was unbelievable. And, you know, he played all facets of the game, excepting for shooting, really, really well. And I get it. Now he's a little older, and he's lost a step, and he's not at all the same player. That's not who James Harden is. James no. Harden could play till he's forty, easily, and and just I like Chris say, Paul, by the way, who's a, the ageless wonder. Yes, he is. I would say, I would agree with one thing with James Harden. This is the only knock that I have on James Harden. He needs the ball, and but that's okay. Chris Paul needs the ball, and that's okay. Here he comes into a situation where his organization has been begging for someone. To, to take the ball, the ball. <laughs> so it it all makes up like that's the only knock that I have on James Harden is no he's not a uh, number two that's versatile that could play on every team and be super happy. 
Because in order for them to be happy, he needs to have the ball. And yeah, we're going to give it to him here. There you go, James. The whole game. Well, and Doc's going to give it to him. Doc isn't going to try to do some clever coaching. Like, nope. like I, I like Doc. I, I think there's some knocks on him that are reasonable and fair. Um, he, But he's not a clever coach. He is going to coach to his team's strengths and not anything else. Like, that's who he is. He's like a this-is-the-way kind of guy. And with this setup, it seems like the right – that seems like the right choice. Like, oh, my uh, – my my power forward guy, he likes the ball in rhythm, so I want you to shoot a lot in rhythm. My center, he can pick and rock, he can pick and pop, he can pick and roll, and my point guard can do that. And then I have a super athletic shooting guard. I'm gonna let him be a super athletic shooting guard. Like that's the only player I'm actually a little bit worried about is Maxi. Like, hmm. like let's see, that's right. Just a little worried because, like, you know, somebody gets somebody's going to fill it up every night, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the NBA. Somebody's going to fill it up every night. And you got to not forget that somebody's going to fill it up every night. So we'll find out how good Maxie really is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, now and off, leaving our sports podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put a disclaimer on this one. We got out of hand. Start at 15 yeah. minutes if yeah, you're started, interested in the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we... We got out of hand. Apologies. Um, so we read a new book, man. Um, the book is a novel by the name of, I believe her name is Britt Brett, Brett Bennett is is her name. Um, it's Britt Bennett. And she wrote a book called The Vanishing Half. It's a novel. It's um, I know it's been all over. It's one of these books that are like making all the, you know, must read lists. Um, I know it was and, in, and it's interesting that our little book club here is also reading it. Yeah, <laughs> right? like, exactly. Because I found yeah. out my my mother in law is reading it. Ah, that's for cool. her book for her book club that she does. Are you serious? I, yeah, because dude, oh, I think that's I, awesome. Because everybody's everybody's in on this book right now. Yeah. yeah. Now, now I don't know the year of the book, but what I hear 2000? is two thousand. Oh, it's been it's been out for a while. Ah. Well, I'm I'm sorry, twenty twenty. I mean. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, and from what I hear, so the book, the backstory is the book was gifted to me um, by a, a coworker of mine. And um, he had heard that I, you know, I'd taken in reading books and, you know, we, we were working on like our 13th book at that time. And he gifted it to me for Christmas. And so I was like, oh, I got to get, we got to read it. And um, when I started doing research on it, I noticed that it's like one of Oprah's like, book club's favorite book of like the last 10 years or something like that. And that, I think that, o- that Obama off, picked, right? it, picked it as like, as one of his top five books of 2020. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's on been making its round. Yeah, yeah. It's been exactly. making its round. So, yeah. So we had to do it. Um, so we did uh chapters one, two, and three. Uh, what are your thoughts? So last week you mentioned that uh, you were like, I think it's the first novel we're reading. And I was like, no, it's the second because The Alchemist is a novel. And I think to clarify, it's the first literary novel that we're reading. Oh, there you go. Gotcha. It it really is. It's the first book. There's a a whole bunch of books in this tradition, right, that are like these books that put you in a time and a place and tell you a story and give you an insight into a life that you could never have lived. 
um, and, you know, are just extraordinarily well written and like put you in a time and a place and you can smell the environment, like just everything. They're like literary powerhouses of books that are like this. And I've read, I've had been fortunate enough to read, I don't know, 10 or 20 of them in my life that are like, that are like this. I can tell immediately from the first part of the book, right? It's written in parts. I think there's like seven parts or whatever. We're going to read it each part, uh, each week. And man, this book, like she, she uses a, uh, an imaginary town called Mallard in Louisiana. Um, that I would guess probably has some strains of truth in it. Like I, I would imagine that there's been some towns that have sort of existed in this vein. This is a, this is an exaggeration of that as a good novel should be. Right. Um, but you know, she sets this time and place and you can imagine this town. Like you can, you can see it. You can see the forest on the outskirts. Like you can envision it. Um, you know, I don't drink in bars, but like, I want to drink in that bar, <laughs> you know, like, it's it's just one of those those things and uh the thirsty is it the thirsty goat i think is it yeah yeah, yeah yeah and like man like you you can smell it you can feel it it puts you in that time and place and like i've never heard of this lady before i'd never heard of this book but this lady can write Woo. yeah yeah it's a, it's it's so the first the one the number one thing that i immediately got because remember i'm not i'm the the novice uh reader here so i didn't i haven't really forced myself to read like i am now and to like go to that place like i would say like there's there's a couple types of reading i don't know if i'm being correct and i'm gonna say it but in my mindset like there's there's the first level reading which is what i mostly do which is like i'm reading but i'm not engaged I'm not, I'm not there. I'm just reading. And I can kind of remember what I read, but not really. I'm not experiencing it. And then there's second level reading. And that is when you actually, like you said, you can, you can smell it. You can taste it. You can feel it. You're there. You, you know, you're, you're worried at times in a book where there's worry, you know what I mean? And like, that was the one thing that I did enjoy about the book is that the writing, I got a chance to get to that second level, which I don't really ever get to as a reader. And I was reading along with the book and, and listening at the same time, which really helped. And uh, I like locked in, man. Like the story is interesting and we absolutely have to talk about the story, just just what it's about. But um, just all in all, the way that it's written, it, um, it definitely is... It transports Better. you. Yes. Yes, but it but it's like I keep thinking like if it was a movie, like it would be hard to pull this off. Like it feels like a movie, but it feels like the most detailed movie I've ever watched. And it's like if it was a movie, it would probably be so hard to pull off because what I'm noticing is in writing and novels and stuff you're you're able to be so much more detailed than what you are in a movie but they kind of feel the same it's just i get a better picture yeah it's uh it, it gives you an appreciation for how good shawshank redemption is because shawshank redemption is the only 
not the only, it's one of the very few movies that I can think of that when you watch Shawshank Redemption, you are taken to the same kind of place that this book takes you, where mm. it's like, you're in, you're in it. You're in a specific time and place. You feel it, you smell it, it you, you, you buy in completely, you sell out. And a great novel does that, a great literary novel, and that's what we're doing right now. And uh, a great movie does that. And the one that I can think of is Shawshank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's all I kept thinking. Like in my back, in the back of my mind, as I'm reading it, I kept thinking like, I've, I've watched many of movies like, like this, like there's a movie out now called the, um, uh, uh, passing is the movie. And it's basically this, but you never get the depth of a story yeah. like in this novel. Like you, you literally like pick up in the middle of the book is how the movies work. Yep. And if you go too far in what happened in the past, you don't get enough of what happened. So that was just, just as a novice reader, the one thing that I picked up right away is that novels are deep, man. They really paint. They're like portraits, man. They paint the full picture for you they lay it out and and at first i was like man it's taking too long and then once it all got delivered i come back and i'm like oh i needed all of that it like i need it was the, it buttoned it all up like oh and then it comes back later and then you, you know then they're like oh remember that from like the first three pages well here we are in chapter two and it comes back up and it's like oh crap like i needed all that so you know i'm having fun to say the least reading like i'm enjoying it and this is like the this is probably gonna be the hardest book i've ever sat down and legitimately read through like i mean the chapters are it they're they're beasts yeah no it's it's yeah you're into something and it's i gotta say from from my side it's fun it's fun to see you get to go through this experience of like having you you know an experience with a literary novel it's it's a great experience to have i think it it's it's uh it's it's awesome. So I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's great. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some of what the book is about. So, um, it's it's definitely what 1960. Yeah. So late, 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 late I, th- I think it's like 60, 61. Yeah. Late 50s, early, early 60s 60. is what it looks like in the south. Um, in the south, and uh, it, it's about you know, one, I mean, one of the topics that still exists today which is like, you know, this colorism, I guess, a color, you know, like where there, it's a, it's a neighborhood or I guess a town of all light-skinned black folks. And she grew up in this town. She's also a light-skinned black woman. And they just talk about the race relations, you know, between, I think in one line in a book, they say how, um, a dark-skinned um, black person is just a slave slave. You know what I mean? Like, like, and and that's that line kind of stuck with me. And it just talks about the the race relations of you know uh, uh, house Negroes versus field Negroes. You know what I mean? And just that whole dynamic, and then how it all played up as we moved into the forties, fifties, sixties. And how there was an era of blacks, light skinned blacks passing, you know what I mean? Which is, which is pretty deep because 
not to get too far off of the book, but I mean, like, there is this weird thing in this country when it comes with biracial anyone, where once you have, you know, black inside your 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 makeup or your 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 veins and blood or whatever, um, you're automatically just only able to identify as black. You know, so here's these two girls who are clearly of mixed race, but you know what I mean? Like, well, they're redheaded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like clearly of mixed race. Mm -hmm. And that also leads to a crazy dynamic of like, you know what I mean? Like not, I mean, their dad is and that, and, that, and just not being, you just, you're black. Like one a little bit of black, you're black. I guess at that time, that's what it was. Um, but it's it's so much in the book, man. It, it it you know there's a lot of scenes. Even talking about like when I guess the story leads, one of them goes and marries a darker man, which is also a lot of lot in the book about the taboo of marrying a, a dark skinned uh, black man and how you you ruin like I guess this this community was like a race of people. They considered themselves a race of people, and it's like you know it's almost like dating someone darker is like dating outside of your race. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's wild. It's, it's so much going on. Yeah. There's a ton going on. And like, and, and meanwhile, there's the, the characters that this author paints are just like, they're so rich. This mm -hmm, guy, mm -hmm. this guy early, um, who becomes, I guess, you know, the love interest in the book. I, at least I hope he does. I hope he sticks around. Cause he's, he's this like really rich character of, you know, um, you know, a, a, an imperfect guy, but morally centered, right? And you know, genuinely sort of enamored, um, and like, you know, he he's the kind of guy that I think most men want to be, right? Which is like, mm -hmm. he makes his own way in life, he works it out, he's good at the thing that he specializes in. Like, I don't know, he's a, he's a very appealing version of what manhood can be you know what he is he's mm. the classic novel like uh white horse fella pulls up in a white horse guy he's classic novel version of that which is he's a detective that is like 101 novel how sure, to build yeah, a yeah. great guy how many guy. times have you had yeah. that in the story <laughs> trope exactly <laughs> how to build a great guy in the novel you know what i mean he's like a secret detective not working for the police force but a private Ooh. detective yeah, private. you know doing his own stuff yeah, you know doing it for the greater good of man i've seen this movie before yeah exactly <laughs> he's you know young good looking guy not the norm good looking though like oh my god i've never seen you know, like a, a man of man of that color that looks. No, no, like he's that. hardened. Like, he's yeah, hardened. He, Sidney Portier good looking. Like, you know, dark skin, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like that's that's who they're describing. Like Sidney Portier would definitely play early. Mm. You know, he's 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 Sidney Portier, heat of the night. Like, you know, maybe a little <laughs> little more scruff, but he's definitely like that's who he is, you know? <laughs> absolutely man yeah this book is is great and like and that's it like they the characters that she's developing and you know who knows where the story's going to go um mm -hmm. but the characters she's developing and the the tension between its twin sisters and mm -hmm. and they they end up split splitting apart and it it's kind of like the i guess part of the story is at least going to be dealing with the fact that these two twin sisters are are separated right otherwise yeah. why would it be yeah. called the vanishing half right yeah and 
and that idea, like you have this, like I'm deeply invested. I'm like, well, what's going to happen? Where is it going to go? What lesson am I going to learn about like how to think about the world? Because something that you thought was a part of you is now separate from you. And, you know, it's just very interesting. This lady can just, she can write, man. Boy, yeah. can she write. Well, I, I was in the, I was in right away. Like, yeah, I was, I was a uh, three pages in and I was like, okay, this is yeah. when I'm doing this, this is all I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I tell you, even just the character Sam, which was oh, the husband yeah. of, of I have Desiree. I total vision of Sam. Yeah. Right. Like the husband of, the husband of Desiree. Yeah. I've put a face on him and everything. Um, but, uh, just how also she wrote him in as a, as the antagonist villain type role, but she also wrote in so much understanding and sympathy for why he is who he is. You know what I mean? And, and it's beautiful how Sam and early are almost the same guy yep. with the differences is Sam is like, we talked about it off here. Sam's the anger of what I don't have makes me angry. Like he's here. He is marrying this light skinned woman who could pass. And she get, you know, all he heard all his life is be lighter, be lighter, be lighter. And so now when he gets into his moods of anger, he he's taking it out on his light skinned wife and is like, sort of kind of hates her at times but also believes without her he's nothing you know what i mean and then you got early who's like even at a 17 years old under has this unbelievable understanding of of, of the world where he's like none of this is ours none of it it's not yours it's not mine that's why you know I, but I both give, of them come both of them come off super charming right? yes yes like, they do Sam yeah, is yeah. Sam is charming in more of like a whatever kind of way. I don't know how to describe it, but and then early has like sort of a a, a worldly mm-hmm. like you know uh, charm or something. Yeah. I, I don't know, but they're both super yeah. appealing. Yes, you know? no. Sam is worldly. I mean, Sam is Sam is not worldly. Sam is like slick he's charm. Mo- he's big slick, city charm. Big city. He knows how to make money. He mm-hmm. he hangs. He's he's plugged in a certain crowds. He can provide a life. That is not in the South. It's so far and so different from what her lifestyle was coming up. But then early can provide this level of protection and this, in this understanding of who she is. And you know what I mean? And yeah, like his, his charm is much more down to earth, I guess. mm -hmm. It's like, I can really be me with early. Yeah. You know, and it really, I mean, all this in three chapters, she's established a lot. <laughs> I know, right? So much information in, in so little time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess we got three more chapters after this one. And uh, it's uh, actually, yeah, part four. No, It's, it's going to be part two. I think it's part like chapters two. four, five, and six. Yeah, four. Yeah, that's what I meant. Four, five, and six. Part two, four, five, and six. Yep. And that, the, that, uh the interesting thing that I noticed is that I have melded in my brain the character of Sam and Will's dad from Will. Ah, yeah. Very, very a lot of parallel. Because when you said it just a minute ago, I was like, huh. Because the even though Sam is 
you know, he's beating on her and he's, you know, he, he's not a, he's certainly not a good man. He's also not a bad man, right? Like he's all like, she has this, the way she writes this is, has this like reflection on him that it's complicated. There's oh, this yeah. like truism about the complication. And Will was really interesting in the way he reflected on his dad that he was like, yeah, my dad was not always great. He was complicated. <laughs> And like there was that sort of like genuine truth that rung that rings through both of them to me that that stuck out. And I think that's in part important with when you're when you're writing or you're telling a story cuz that's 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 how you get the closest to like life and to reality. Because at the end of the day, even the worst of people have people who who they love and love them. Or people who, you know what I mean? Even the worst of people. There, there's some there's some good sides of everyone. Even the worst. Yeah. And I think if you're writing a story and you're going to be true, it's like everybody doesn't hate this person. You know, however bad they are, everybody doesn't hate them. And even some of the people that don't hate them, they might not know that side of that person, but they yeah. got to know another side of that person that they still do you know, like want to believe that's who that person really is, you know? So when you're writing or you're telling a story and only way you can tell the truth is if you tell the story where you're telling all the sides of any characters that you're going to put in your story, you know, you know, so, yeah. So look, we, we went long on James Harden talk, so let's postpone any business update stuff until next week. Um, that way we can have like a reasonably timed episode this week. Uh, so with that thought, where can people find us, Vernon? They can find us at the processes, black and white.com. And they can check us out on any of your social media platforms at the process is black and white and search that will pop right up. All right. Talk to you next week. All right, bro. And that's all the time we have this week. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Process is Black and White. Come join us next week where the journey continues on the road to successful entrepreneurship. For further information, go to www.theprocessisblackandwhite.com. Any views or opinions represented on this podcast do not constitute financial advice or any other advice. Vernon and Devin inspire you to conduct your own due diligence before making any personal financial decisions.